Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to FX Moment, which is part of our Fick Focus podcast series. My name is Audrey Child Freeman. I am the Chief G10 FX Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. And today I'm joined by Stephen Chu, our Chief Asia FX and Rate Strategist, and by Sergey Boloboyev, our EMEA EM FX and Rate Strategist. First of all, let me wish you all a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2023. And as we start the year and as we think about our outlook for the currency markets, I just want to briefly go back to the outlook that we proposed and presented in, at the end of November and see whether anything has changed on the currency front since then, given how much of a move we've actually seen on the dollar. Uh, and given that some of our views from then seem to have already been validated. So at the time, we argued that the 2022 dollar bullish drivers, and namely yields and risks, uh, would evolve this year and become less dollar supportive. And we also argued that the focus would potentially move away from those two drivers and focus more on growth differential. And on that front, uh, again, uh, the context would become less supportive for the dollar this year than it was not last year. And this narrative was validated by the price action that we've had in December uh, with the dollar uh, weakening, um, really starting uh, in, in early Q4 and continuing throughout uh, the, the end of the quarter. And the big question mark I ask myself now is whether uh, we get uh, the dollar rebound that we kind of were contemplating for, for the first quarter uh, because our, our reasoning was that um, the, the drivers were evolving, but we've, we, we saw quite a big move um, and the market could always rethink and moderate uh, its optimism and associated uh, dollar downside. And certainly the risk that we identified at the end of November remain in place. And, and you know, I, I will very briefly touch on them. We could still have the market adjusting back to a more hawkish Fed expectations. Uh, and in that respect, uh, the next uh, set of CPI data for the US, which are coming out next week, would be quite crucial. The other, well, another risk is, is China macro concern, potentially offsetting uh, the reopening trade view. Uh, and that's something that Stephen will touch on uh, in, in a later part. But, you know, I would say that certainly in the past few weeks, the market has tended to focus more on the optimistic interpretation of the reopening trade than on the macro consideration that we have uh, on, on China. On the geopolitical front, you know, the Russia-Ukraine premium, and I've been talking about that a lot late last year, but that, you know, that remains valid. It seems to be much less of a driver. Uh, but, you know, where where do we stand now and what is the risk on, on that front? And could, could that become a driver and an, a, a bearish driver for the euro again early this year? Uh, and again, we'll talk to Sergey uh, in, in a minute for for more of an insight on, on what to expect from here. 
Another risk that I've mentioned and that we've mentioned uh, in the past, and again that could link that could help the dollar revive, uh, relates to any any kind of potential disappointments on the earning front uh, and associated risk of that we could see in the market. So bottom line is that all those risks that we kind of mentioned remain in place. Uh, but the reason why I, I, I'm just only half convinced that we get or how much of a dollar rebound we get in Q1 um, and the magnitude of that is the debatable point is that, you know, all those risks I've just mentioned, there's nothing there that the market is not talking about or that the market is not pricing in. So given how much of a compelling dollar negative view seems to be settling in the market uh, week after week, and the price action remains quite negative for now. Um, I, I just wonder whether even if we get, you know, more negative news coming out of China, how much of a dollar rebound we get and how much, how long does it last? So this is a very tricky question, I think, to answer early this year. And that's why I think, you know, in Q1, uh, you know, you can have your dollar negative outlook in place, but you can also think outside the dollar box. So that means, Think about trade views and trade ideas that uh, don't necessarily involve direct exposure onto the dollar. So, for instance, you know, if you were dollar yen bearish last year, you had, well, late last year, you had a very good run from, you know, if you look at the move that we've had from, um, from late October, early November. But you think, you know, it's a little bit overdone. You, you're not quite, you want to take some profit or you're not quite sure uh that you know we get our next leg lower just yet uh then there are other ways for uh the yen to to appreciate and and i suppose there's at least two of them that comes across my mind at the moment and one is related to the view that um we have on sterling and what i say what i think is still a, a very cyclically bearish uh case for for the pound as we start the year that could change later this year, but in Q1, it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. And, and I just feel that sterling yen downside uh, could be um, uh, could be an interesting uh, cross to look at early this year. 151 is the level um, that uh, is is an important support level, and it's about five percent lower from the current level. Cad yen downside uh, is is another view uh, that we could contemplate, you know, especially considering uh, that the Canadian dollar is always used as a proxy trade and, and a proxy view uh, for the US dollar. So if you're bearish on dollar yen, but uh, do not want all exposure on that cross, CAD yen downside could be also a, an, inter an interesting alternative. Um, and in terms of level on CAD yen, uh, 90 is the level that um, comes across on the chart, and it is uh, about 7% lower from, from the current levels. Uh, but it's not just a G10 story. Uh, you can think about outside the dollar box and outside the G10 space. Uh, and there's uh, several interesting um, convictions, conviction views uh, in Asia FX, for instance. And, and I know Stephen has an interesting thought about the Thai bath. So Stephen, can you please tell us what are your convictions and what are your views now versus when we last discussed the outlook for this year, uh, perhaps for, for 
outside uh, outside the Chinese, but also the Chinese view, of course, is, is quite crucial for, for the outlook, generally talking. Yeah, sure, no problem. Thank you, Audrey. So as, uh, as you have mentioned, uh, there may still be a lot of uncertainties in the first quarter. Hence, it may also be premature to call for a full-blown dollar Asia decline early on in the year. In fact, our central scenario is uh, we're looking for some consolidation early on before a more sustainable downtrend. Now, actually, um, in our outlook report, we have come up with three possible dollar Asia paths, with all of them ending the year 2023 lower. Um, therefore, given that um, we are more certain about the endpoint for dollar Asia, which is lower, but we are more uncertain about the path that leads to that outcome. So that's why um, it's also in the outlook report that we prefer to hold a basket of Asian currencies uh, funded by the US dollar. Now, this strategy uh, will help lowering the risk of picking the wrong or underperformed Asian currency and could also help reducing the swing against the dollar um, during the course of the year. So in short, um, this basket consists of 25% um, of Sing dollar, 20% Hong Kong dollar, 15% of Thai baht, which is our favorite. I'll come to that later, as Audrey mentioned. And finally, 10% each in the Indonesian rupiah, Indian rupee, Taiwan dollar, and the South Korean one. Now here, we intentionally left out the Chinese yuan and Philippine peso for reasons that we will talk about in a moment. So moving on, um, I will focus on individual Asian currencies, not all of them, but some of the interesting ones, including some trading ranges for the year ahead. First of all, um, the Chinese Yuan, which is um, always the focus in Asia. Now, the reason that we left out the Yuan in our basket strategy that we have just flagged earlier was due to the unpredictability of the Yuan itself. Just because we think the Yuan could be a wildcard currency this year, meaning that it could either be an outperformer or an underperformer within Asia. It really depends on the macro uh, progress of China's reopening, and nobody can really be certain about that. Now, in the scenario where China could manage to reopen without any material disruption to its macro recovery, meaning that China's growth could actually accelerate this year, and that's against um, a lot of the major and Asian economies where, the, where those economies are expected to slow. And with this happening, the PBOC could rely less on monetary easing, again, moving away from the other central bank's monetary policy. And in this case, the UN could outperform and appreciate against both the dollar and also the basket of currency. And that's the ideal case for the UN boost. But um, however, um, the UN otherwise, if that didn't um, go as well as planned, then the UN may just appreciate moderately against the dollar. But that's more because of a weak dollar theme. But then the UN could depreciate against the basket just because other non-dollar currencies could outperform. Now, in fact, um, it's uh, very common to see the yuan underperforming a lot of the Asian currencies during a dollar downtrend. And more importantly, uh, we expect China's trade surplus to start narrowing because of weaker external demand. And also more importantly, the normalization in tourist outflows from China to other places could be a very big headwind for the yuan, so we are less optimistic about the Chinese currency. And all in all, um, dollar CMY may trade towards the lower end of um, our 6.4 to 7.2 range this year. And uh, finally, as a reference, our BI beer model suggests a fair value for dollar China just below 6.4. So that's about right. 
Now, moving on, um, which is more interesting, uh, I would like to um, advertise the Thai bar, which is one of our more convicted favorite within Asia for this year. Now, um, as we also just mentioned a bit earlier, further normalization in China's tourist outflows, meaning that uh, in Thailand, tourist inflows could further recover towards pre-pandemic norms. And that's a very robust structural tailwind for the Thai bot. Now, um, just to give you some numbers, even before the return of Chinese tourists, which is, of course, before the pandemic, that's the dominant um, tourist nationality amount or the tourists towards Thailand. So Thailand said that in December last year, it had already reached the target of having 10 million overseas investors for the entire 2022. And that's compared to only less than half a million in 2021. So that's a very large jump already in 2022. And in 2023, we are talking about further normalization. And again, give you a sense, we're talking about near 40 million visitor inflows before the pandemic. So you can think about the incremental increase in the currency support in the Thai baht. So um, of course, in Thailand, there are still some downside. Um, it's widening trade deficits. It has a relatively low FX carry alert compared to the other currencies, but these are relatively minor because tourism is the most important driver for Thai baht. Again, just to, just to illustrate this point now, let's not look at the Japanese yen. We just look at the other Asian currencies. So basically, Thai baht was always among the top three outperformers within Asia during 2016 to 2019. And it even topped the table in 2018 and 2019. So you can see how tourism can boost this currency. And for dollar Thai baht, we expect a range of 31.5 to 36.5. Just quickly, again, moving on away from Thai baht, um, another two potential outperformers could be the Taiwan dollar and the South Korean one. Now, yet um, the timing may come only later when the Fed pivot seems to be more certain to markets and the U.S. yields retreat further. Now, just because the performance of these two currencies tend to be highly correlated to cross-border tech equity flows, um, and hence, we really need the Fed to reach its terminal policy rates and also for global tech stocks to rise even further and to see further inflows into these two markets, chasing after flagship companies like TSMC and Samsung. So for dollar Taiwan, we're looking for a range of 28.5 to 31.5. And for dollar Korea, we're looking for a range of um, 1130 to 1350. Now, of course, um, if the dollar indeed turns out to consolidate before dropping, then um, other Asian currencies may have their utilities. Hence, we pick a basket um, trade earlier. That's why we like um, the Hong Kong dollar and the Sing dollar. Now, of course, um, and most people know that Hong Kong dollar has this dollar pack, which really protects it from a strong dollar. But even the Sing dollar also has an FX band policy, which makes it the best performing currency last year, despite a strong dollar. Now, hence, these two currencies could act as a safe haven if the dollar just stays strong for a little bit longer. And for dollar Sing, we're looking for a range of 1.28 to 1.38. So last but not least, the last group that I want to talk about is are the high yielders in Asia that also um, provides value for the basket portfolio because it can add carry to the portfolio, especially if the U.S. yields turn out to be more resilient and only drop later this year. In other words, if the Fed turns out to be more hawkish than these high yielders, we're talking about Indonesian rupiah and the Indian rupee could be helpful for the basket. Finally, some ranges for the um, dollar uh, rupiah. We are talking about a range of um, 14500 to 15900. And for the dollar rupee, we're looking for a range of 78 to 87. And with that, I will pass it over to my teammate Shage to talk about the EMEA currencies. Over to you. 
Thank you, Stephen. Uh, for most of the past year, the Russia-Ukraine conflict was the main external factor influencing both economic and market developments uh, for countries of the Central and Eastern Europe. We see no reason for this to change in the near term, even though most of these economies are now much better prepared for potential energy supply disruptions stemming from the unfavorable scenarios uh, of the Ukraine war, which unfortunately are still uh, on the table. Developments uh, over the past several weeks suggest that this conflict has become even more entrenched, so to say, with both sides uh, sustaining heavy military losses uh, and the damage to Ukraine's energy and uh, civilian infrastructure sadly persisting. Uh, we see even less appetite from uh, political leadership on either side for an early resumption of any meaningful uh, negotiations. Russian military strategists clearly rely on the winter factor in order to inflict maximum damage to Ukraine's ability to sustain the energy supply disruptions uh, and also to try and weaken the resolve of uh, European nations uh, that have been providing military and financial support uh, to Ukraine. Uh, the weather factor has indeed been an important one in this conflict, albeit not in the way Russia has been counting on. The extremely mild winter temperatures in early December uh, in Europe and also over the New Year period have reduced demand uh, for both gas and, and oil. Uh, and also allowed uh, gas storage levels uh, to reach uh, record highs. Natural gas futures in Europe are now back to levels before uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That doesn't mean, though, that uh, if we do see a sudden change uh, of the winter uh, and, and we do have some forecasts for later this month, at least in Eastern Europe, suggesting there will be a very cold uh, spell, in that part of the continent. Uh, and also, if we do have some sort of significant uh, unfavorable developments uh, in the military uh, sort of, uh, situation uh, on the ground, that would also uh, likely uh, trigger a fresh spike uh, in, uh, in natural gas prices. So the core Central uh, and East European economies uh, are all vulnerable uh, to uh, energy prices and, and potential energy disruptions. Uh, mostly, uh, I would say, uh, the Hungarian economy uh, uh, that uh, critically depends on uninterrupted uh, flow of uh, oil uh, from Russia, and, and it does go uh, mainly through Ukraine. Uh, the currency, the forint, uh, is now about 8% stronger against the euro uh, compared to its uh, trough in mid-October uh, before the introduction of emergency monetary policy measures. And against the dollar over the same period, the currency strengthened by nearly 16%. Uh, to a certain extent, that has been uh, not just the uh, impact of uh, tight uh, monetary policy, but also the fact that uh, Hungarian storage facilities uh, in particular uh, uh, at, at record uh, full uh, levels uh, and the 
impact on the country's uh, current account from the record high gas prices uh, early in the year have been declining. Uh, that said, uh, Hungary is clearly not out of the woods. Uh, it has to continue with its uh, austerity measures uh, to preserve the uh, energy resources. And, and clearly, if we do have uh, a major flare-up of uh, uh, tensions of, of the military uh, escalation of the conflict, uh, the foreign would be the one uh, to be sort of initially uh, coming under, uh, under renewed pressure. Uh, it also means that if we have an early resolution of the conflict, uh, probably sort of already in, in the second quarter when the peak demand for energy in Europe is over, then the uh, the upside for the foreign uh, would be the strongest uh, of the whole uh, C4 uh, economies. Switching on to uh, Poland, uh, the Zloty uh, rose just under 5% against the euro since the lows uh, uh, in early October from the level which was nearly 4.9% uh, against the euro. And against the dollar, it's uh, up 12% uh, over the period. Uh, the uh, Monetary Policy Council, uh, the central bank, uh, has been deeply divided, uh, but the majority uh, in favor of keeping the rates uh, is, is clearly in charge. So we no, don't see uh, any risk of the policy tightening cycle uh, increase, uh, resuming. Uh, and also the recent uh, peak, or what appears to be at least the peak in the headline inflation, uh, gives uh, further uh, uh, ground to the more dovish part uh, of the uh, Monetary Policy Council. Um, in the Czech Republic, uh, the corona has been strengthening since the euro more or less continuously uh, since late September, uh, very mildly so, by about 2.5%. And against the dollar, it's up uh, nearly 12%. Uh, and the, the currency is just uh, marginally weaker than 24 uh, corona against the euro. The last time the currency was that strong uh, was back in, in 2008. And that clearly has implications um, for a real effective exchange rate performance, the corona is nearly 23% uh, up uh, uh, since the uh, COVID-related uh, uh, trough in the first quarter of 2020. Uh, and over the same period, the foreign uh, is down uh, 3% in real effective exchange rate terms, and the Polish lotte uh, is, is up about 6%. So going forward, we think that uh, the, the key factors besides the geopolitics uh, for the CE currencies will be, will be the performance of the uh, Eurozone uh, as a whole. Uh, the risk of recession in the Eurozone uh, remains. Certainly, uh, even though the most recent uh, PMI uh, readings uh, for December were pretty much uniformly better than those for November, uh, and, and the... Uh, Overall, uh, PMI for the Eurozone is, is on par uh, with, with the previous month. Uh, if we do have uh, a mild uh, recession, which currently seems to be the most likely outcome, uh, then uh, the CE currencies uh, will have better uh, prospects. Uh, they will have um, certainly scope to outperform against the Euro going forward. If, however, uh, there is a, a prolonged disruption uh, in growth uh, in the Eurozone, 
then all those bets will be off. Uh, and uh, I would say that uh, in, in this scenario, of course, the euro is likely to uh, underperform against the dollar and uh, the C currencies uh, will not be able to do much better. That's really it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sergey. So, so bottom line is that we, we can't be complacent about uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation. And I suspect from, from a G10 FX perspective, that remains uh, a lingering risk to our Euro bullish view. Uh, but uh, what the, other, the, other, the other point I would make here is that it, it, it's, it's become much less of a driver um so so let's let's see if if that remains the case for for 2023 so this concludes our latest fx podcast um any question please refer to steven to sergey or to myself um uh, just a reminder that you can find our research a research on our bi curve page uh, i hope you found today's podcast interesting until next time goodbye thank you